Hi everyone, welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint. And I'm Julian Taylor. And welcome to our podcast. So, hello and welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Um, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you'll notice that I am back in my reading room in Chicago. So I'm having another, another trip out to the US, um, which is going to be really enjoyable, spending a few days here and then uh, heading off to NSC in San Diego, which is going to be great, catching up with a few people. As usual today, I'm joined by my partner in crime, um, Mr. Langdon Dement. Hey, Jules. I'm glad you're back, and I'll get to see you in a few short days. We will be reunited. Two bald guys walking San Diego. Looking forward to it, Langdon. Looking forward to it. So the the two of us will be together in in San Diego. Um, I think just wanted to catch up because I know you had a bit of an exciting weekend last week, didn't you, Langdon? So what was happening last weekend? It was the uh, it was the annual guys trip, whitewater rafting in East Tennessee. That sounds for for a safety guy. That sounds slightly risky to me. You know, it's pretty funny. The first time I ever went, I was one of the smaller individuals. There were six of us in a raft, and three of them, you know, they're they're large fellas. Let's just say one of them, you know, three hundred plus pounds or some of that. I mean, solid, you know, like six six and stuff. So I was one of the smaller ones, and you get a helmet, and you don't really think anything about it. I got thrown about four or five times and I didn't think anything about it till the last time I flew and I was in the front. There was another smaller guy in the front and we still relive it and talk about it to this day. It was eight years ago. I got thrown over him. He and I made eye contact with one another, me looking down, him looking up and I got thrown in right beside a rock. And it's that you realize when the next year we went back, and we were doing the the whole thing and you go before. So it's run by TVA has kind of control of it, which is Tennessee Valley authority here. So they, it's a power um, river also. So they control. And when we were going up, you actually see all the rocks before they let the water come through. It is a death trap and it's a miracle that you don't hit a rock. So that was my weekend, but it was good. Didn't get thrown in this year. Good times, safe times. Here we are. How about you? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, busy weekend. Uh, actually, actually, um, family weekend before before one of my kids took off to to Australia um, for for a year. So busy weekend. Um, I suppose we should get into what what we've come to talk about today and. Your whitewater rafting sort of leads in quite nicely, Langdon, um, because it sounds like there was the odd hazard involved in that little expedition of yours. There was. So, you know, if you were, if hopefully everyone remembers, we talked last time about the incident management life cycle, the whole process. And as we're transitioning, we wanted to really get into that hazard spotting, hazard awareness. And, you know, I think you talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago, but about how some people get into the role of health and safety. Some people have destiny to fill that role maybe. And it reminded me of something that I'm not going to say that I always wanted to be a safety 
professional because that would be a uh, a lie to all the viewers and I, I don't want to mislead or misdirect any of them. But, but when I was in, I think I had just gotten to high school. So at ninth grade, maybe I was in eighth grade. I don't remember. My dad was president or manager or whatever of a building materials and concrete plant. And I would just mess around and I, I spent a lot of time there. And in the afternoons or in the summer, if I didn't have anything going on, I'd go hang out with him. And I can remember him getting me with a yellow spray can going around the lumber yard out back. So that's where all the lumber stays, you know, three racks, four racks high, pretty self-explanatory. But we would go out and he was like, you know, I need you to put lines around all the fire extinguishers, mark off some of the hazards. So at eighth or ninth grade, I was a safety and health detective almost. And I was playing the role of, of health and safety, marking off where all the fire extinguishers are, um, ensuring housekeeping was, was adequate, helping clean up other areas. I mean, it was open, so you didn't have to really do you know anything from an uh, egress or exit standpoint, but that was just kind of the, the start. It was all about spotting hazards. And I think, you know, I, I say that scenario of the whitewater rafting, sometimes it maybe it's better not to know the hazards around you, but in reality, in the workplace, the more that we know, as we've talked about, the better it is. So, you know, I think about my first interaction from hazard awareness, hazard spotting, it was very much, it was then. It was going through and trying to mark known areas of safety, but then also help identify uh, hazards and hazardous situations. What about you? Well, I think I, I always reflect back on um on, on a on a job that I had and I worked for a manufacturing business um, and I was I was on the sort of sales side at, at, at that time in, in life and but I worked for a, a manufacturing business so they had a, a factory um, and and you walked through the factory and there was lots of metal bashing going on so there was welding there was sort of hammering um, there was grinding there was cutting so you can imagine the, the scenario um there's lots of noise there's lots of heat there's there's lots of hazards so there's lots of things that could hurt people and if i tell you langdon i used to walk through that factory and i was completely oblivious to all of them um and 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 i think back to it in terms of any kind of induction there was no safety induction into the business um there was no control over who walked through that factory area there was no control over any form of PPE as you walked through that factory area. There was really no control over where you walked in that factory area or what you did. Um, and at the time, I was—I have to say—I was fairly oblivious to to health and safety and and the importance of health and safety. And I suppose more by luck than judgment, nothing happened. Um, well, nothing happened to me. Um, there's a, there's another part of the story, which I'll maybe tell a different time, which is why I got into, or, or like you said, it started that germination towards a career in health and safety, um, because one of my colleagues did get seriously injured. And that's when I kind of started waking up to the fact that actually we need to do things differently. Um, so, so I, I, I sort of reflect back on those experiences, um, and 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 really think about actually 
incidents don't need to happen. The incident that, that happened in, in that particular business didn't need to happen. If people had had a bit of foresight and a bit of thought, that person didn't need to get hurt. Um, and I always find it interesting, and, and again, I'll come back to you on this, Langdon, is how often we, we go to talk to organisations and the first thing they want to talk to us about is incident management. We want to talk about incident management. And it always feels a bit chicken and egg to me. Um, I'm assuming that's an expression that is used in the United States as well as the UK. But it's it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Um, and, and as a health and safety professional, I kind of take a view as that actually our first priority should be risk management not incident management, it should be risk management. Um, but again, I'll, I'm going to hand back to you and yeah. see what your thoughts are on that. <clears throat> no, I agree. And, you know, realistically, in most, I would say, countries, most organizations, it, it started with incident management. And that was from the standpoint of there was a compliance element to that obviously. So what is an easier way to document when something happens? How can we keep better track of our, of our incidents, especially for some organizations when they're having, you know, quite a lot of incidents and especially incidents with loss. So you look at that, but I, I fully agree because then it's that whole, okay, well, that, that's fine. The incident management though, if we can make it better, more refined, that, that's obviously going to be a more effective, efficient process for sure. But that doesn't answer the question of how can we prevent incidents from occurring? And, you know, and if you don't get people, I think we talked about that whole life cycle, but if we don't get people actually actually reporting on incidents or reporting on what's happening, then you will start to have a lack of insight into even being able to track your incidents. So then take it a step further. And does everyone know what is what's a hazard? What's a hazardous environment? What's a risky situation where there are some inherent hazards present? So no, I fully agree. It's and you know we saw a bunch when the workplace changed under the 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 word that we don't want to discuss the c word. That's COVID. We don't want to really discuss that. But whenever that happened, we saw people beginning working from home, and then what what does that workplace look like? You know, it was the whole does anyone actually do a risk assessment of their own home work? And most of the time, no, you know, I always talk about there's a cord that I have running right here. And when I purchased the cord, I purchased it because it almost matched my rug, my new rug that I put in my office perfectly. On the flip side, that was a terrible idea because it matched it perfectly. And I didn't tape it down or anything because, you know, it's a new rug at my house. So I'll just go the other way. <laughs> but it is that scenario of have we taught our workers? Do we help empower them to even be able to recognize what hazards are, are there? Because if we don't, if if our workers don't know how to recognize not only known hazards, but unknown hazards that might come as an adverse effect of something else, if they can't recognize that, then how are they going to report that? Then how do we get that into the incident management life cycle? And then, you know, you have that whole, honestly, it can become an avalanche. And that's what we want to try to prevent as much as possible. Um, so I, I agree. It is the, maybe there is some chicken and egg, but we have, 
whichever one incident management is. We have the chicken. Let's go back and now get the egg to try to make it a little more preventative. And it's the process. That's, you know, that, that's one of the big things for me is what, what does that process look like presently? You know, when you take that introspective look at your organization. It's, it's the thing I always get really, really passionate about. It's the thing I really believe in Langdon is, is this whole approach of let's go and spot hazards. If we can get people spotting hazards, we stand the chance of, of stopping things from happening. And and it surprises me how 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 often we go into organisations and yeah, they've they've got this really clear mantra of we want people to report incidents, but they have no process in place for, for hazard spotting. And um and I think it'd be good to talk through how how we we go about doing that because I think it's I think I think there are some disciplines you need to think about if you're gonna get people up and running and get people doing it. Um, and, and I think the first one is, is the, we've talked about this before on previous pods is, is I call it with them. So what's in it for me. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm a cynical guy from the North of England. Yeah. We're, we're, we're the, we're the browbeaten ones who, who, who don't get anything good done for us by government that's based down in the South of the country. So we're always a bit cynical. Um, and the cynical part of me says that people who work in an organization quite likely aren't motivated by business priorities. So a manager coming out saying this is a business priority is not a real motivator for, for people to say, right, I'm going to do that thing. Yeah. So what we have to do is I think one of the starting points is, is tapping into what's the personal value. Yeah, so, so what is the, the value to you as an individual to do this? And that might motivate people. Um, and, and, and I think I've talked about this loads of times before, but I, I talk about it because it makes sense. Um, and it's, it's doing things like doing exercises with them to understand what's the implications of getting this wrong. So actually, if you have an incident, what effect is it going to have on you as a person? Not, not on the business, but what effect is it going to have on you as a person? So... I love talking to people about what do, you, what do you do when you're not at work? So it might be crazy things like I'm going to throw myself down a river with loads of rocks in it. And, 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 but, but, but people do lots of different things when they're outside of work. And it's actually getting them to realize that actually you could be jeopardizing that, all of those things that you like to do through the potential of having an industrial accident. Yeah. So even if you've got kids, the fact that you're not going to be able to give your kids a hug or you're not going to be able to go and play hob- play sport or do hobbies with them. But if we can start to get people to recognise there's a value, there's, this is about you, it's not about the business, it's about you and about protecting your future. That, that I think that's a really important starting point. And it's, yeah, and it's tough, right? You think about it, for a lot of workplaces, it is the same job that it's been with the same people doing that job for 20, 30, 40. I mean, realistically, even you have some that 50 years, I mean, it's been a lifetime, you know, yes, that's kind of shifting the aging workforce, uh, the younger generation, but there's still a, uh, a large amount of workers that they've done that job for a long time. So then you have to start thinking, how can we, how can we do things differently for them? How can we get them thinking differently? Because maybe there is a slight process change. Maybe, the job itself has slightly shifted 
or they have slightly shifted in that job because they have done that job so much. So they know what corners they can cut, maybe what hazards are minimal enough or not as risky. So they know nothing really is going to happen if that adverse effect occurs. And then you have to start thinking, how can we overcome this? And that's where we start seeing a lot of times issues. And, you know, likewise, organizations that when I used to do a JHA workshop, so it was about a four hours, let's put together a job hazard analysis. One solid hour was strictly on hazard identification, hazard awareness. And it's because that's crucial. If I don't know how to recognize hazards that are there, how am I going to even really know what that job truly entails? How do I know how to rectify that hazard or minimize it? Um, and that's that's one of the biggest things. And sometimes it is, you know, it's taking a look at standard operating procedures. It's taking a look at my JHAs. It's taking a look at policies or processes, maybe even training, you know, yada, yada, whatever it is. But it, and with a new set of eyes, with an old set of eyes who've done it, just to get that better cadence of, what are we looking at? What are we, what are we trying to do? What, what do we want to prevent from occurring? And that's where, you know, that's the importance of it. It's if I don't recognize hazards and maybe it's a, my wrists have started. Um, I sit here at the desk all the time. My wrists have started kind of hanging on the side. Okay. I've just now added a contact stress potential for carpal tunnel. I mean, it goes on and on. And that's, it gets the mindset of being negative, spotting hazards, because it's, I mean, a hazard, I guess, is a negative kind of thing to a certain extent. But the importance is trying to think about it from a positive standpoint. And if it's a positive thing, you know, hey, we're spotting new hazards, we can hopefully eliminate a future incident, then to me, that's a success. Yeah, and I think, I think I was just so, thinking as, as you were talking then of course I was listening to you intently Langdon but I was thinking at the same time um so I was proving men can multitask um but I was just thinking I nearly forgot my train of thought then but I was thinking that um it, it's getting people to recognize it's not just about your specific job at a moment in time uh, and I, and again I reflect back on that factory that I used to work in there were different work areas and actually you walk through the factory, you maybe walk through the factory to get to your work area. What we want is people, even if they see a hazard in a different area, to not think, well, that's down to somebody else. Actually to think about it, either resolve it or tell somebody about it, yeah? We create that culture of whenever you're in the workplace, it doesn't matter where you are, if you see something that, that's got the potential to, to cause damage or to hurt somebody, you talk about it. Um, so we create that culture. Um, and, and then the other bit I was just reflecting on was, was, was this, how do we make it easy? We've got to make it easy for people to, to sort of talk about these things. And, and also the other bit is then show them that something positive happens as a result of them talking about these things. So <coughs> I was just reflecting on a, on a sort of a, a conversation I was, I, I was having or heard with a, with an organization the other day and and the guy the guy said he was asked a question about how how are things reported and he said well they're bought in by hand so that kind of implies to me that somebody's filling out a piece of paper 
than having to go and find a manager and hand the piece of paper to a manager. Well, they might have a Dropbox. So they might have a Dropbox, okay, (laughs) yeah. But what are the dangers in having that kind of approach? The, The danger is I've got to go and find the piece of paper. I've got to fill the piece of paper out. If I don't understand it exactly, there might be issues there. So there's a massive likelihood that actually people aren't going to report things. So you're going to be you're going to get an under under reporting and under observation of these things. So we don't know about them. So I think one of the other things you've got to really consider if you're trying to put this hazard spotting approach into place is making it really simple and easy. And I'll bang that kiss drum again of just keeping it stupidly simple. If we, if, if we make things stupidly simple, people will do it. Yeah. So if we make it immediate, we make it simple, people can do it, boom, it's, it's, it's done. It's out of the way. Yeah. As um, soon as you start introducing any kind of complexity in terms of I've got to go and find a form, I've got to fill a form out, I've got to take it to somebody, you're inherently going to reduce the number of things that get reported. Yeah. Oh, you know, you just said something made me, and I don't know if I've actually ever told you this, but there was one time I was working with an organization and they were... Uh, it's been years, but they were really looking at incident management and trying to be proactive. And it, you know, it was, it was very good. It was exciting through some of the conversations we were having. So we did a, a walkthrough, just a, not a, I'd say almost a, it wasn't a full mock uh, OSHA inspection or anything like that, but just a walkthrough trying to, you know, if we saw something, give some extra thoughts. And we started talking about the hazard reporting standpoint, hazard recognition. How do you get people reporting hazards? Do you have them reporting hazards near misses? I'm like, yeah, we do. And we asked how, and it was that same thing as paper. Okay. Well, what, what do they do with those? Well, we have a, we have a box we put them in. Oh, that's, that's great. Can we take a look at it? Yeah. So we went, you know, showed us the box and it was locked, um, which that's, you know, that's fine. That's, I guess, you know, uh, it's one of those things, maybe I, I might not, but I get it because I don't want anybody to mess with it uh, from the standpoint of being able to open and maybe take something out. But they, ultimately, they couldn't find the key. So we had, I don't know when, I don't recall when it had been updated last or anything like that. So you have a, a system in place, process to try to make it, I guess, as, as easy as it is to report hazards, to report what you see. But then they didn't know where the key was to get in. And I found out that that had been actually happening for a little, you know, that it wasn't the first day. So that's it. I mean, how many organizations try to streamline incident management, uh, try to maybe even streamline some, some risk assessments. And that's great, but are they making it easy for people to report hazards, you know, when employees are in there? And if I can't report, I'm definitely not going to correct I'm not going to listen to rectify or anything like that. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's that's why I say make it fun, make it agreed, you know, make it easy so that people can report and we can hopefully at, at least talk about it. Because most likely you're not the only person that's brought it up unless it's a spill or something that you watched happen, you know. I don't, I don't know whether to laugh or cry when you talk about locking a box. Why on earth do you need to lock a box where people are putting in hazard spots? Well, we don't want to go down that rabbit. Uh, oh, I'm going to go and steal those hazard spots. Yeah. I saw what Jules did the other day. This is going to show him. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it's slightly crazy, isn't it? So the only way you're going to get your hazard spots is if you bring a crowbar so you can open the box. I'm sure they found the key. Yeah, and and it's it's kind of illogical, isn't it? So we've got to kind of change that mindset. Um, I'm just imagining the curly brown bits of paper that you're going to pull out of that box that have been in there yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Scrolls. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, I think there's so much we need to think about here. And I think one of the other, the other, the other biggies, I talk about the black hole of doom. And, and the black hole of doom is really simple, which is, and it relates to so much in health and safety, is people report things and then they don't hear anything about it. And and the most criminal bit, Langdon, is actually in, in, in a lot of cases, people report something and, and, and something does happen about it. But actually what we don't do is we don't communicate. We don't tell people. Um, and, and actually, how do you make people feel valued and empowered one of the really easy ways to do it is to say, great work telling us about this thing. This is the result of what you told us. Yeah. And you can show a really positive outcome to yes. it. Um, so that's got to be a part of your process. Part of your process has got to be that feedback loop. So either a lessons learned or, a, or, a, or, or an outcome of, of, of what's been reported. And we can celebrate them, can't we? Um, and you think about that as a word celebrating health and safety, celebrating something is far more positive than then going in and doing things like incident investigations. We're doing positive things. Well, and, um, and I think what you just said, that's, you know, we're, we're focusing on, excuse me, the hazard recognition and hazard awareness, but that element of then reporting them, and we get into that further in a week or so, excuse me, but there are so many obstacles to reporting that, I've seen with organizations, I know you have, and that is one way to overcome it, which you just said. If you show that we're listening, you show, and I don't even mean senior leadership. It could be your super. It could be your frontline manager. It could be me as the yeah. safety manager walking around. If I at least show that, hey, you know, John over here in line B spotted a couple of things and Notice some of the mats around were starting to curl up on the edges. So we realized that that wasn't good. So we put new mat. I mean, that's a, that's a little thing that seems pretty maybe irrelevant, but for the guy that's standing on it for eight, 10 hours a day, that's a big thing. And that shows that, you know what? They care. It's not just the, you know, they're giving me what they're giving me and going on. So it, I agree. Anything that you can do to show positive outcome, that's a that's a big step forward when it comes to health and safety, at least from the engagement. And it kind of leads in it it leads in something else I think we should do a separate pod on, which is how how do you introduce coaching as a part of your health and mm -hmm. safety approach within an organization? Because I think I think again a, a, a probably one of the outcomes of hazard spots could be that we go and coach individuals about the way that we do things. But we'll We'll, we'll pick that up as a separate subject another time. I think the other thing to do is, the other thing to talk about is we also can reflect back on some of the previous things that we've talked about. One in particular is leadership. So again, leadership has always had this role to play within health and safety. And again, within hazard spotting, it's, it's the same thing is just talk about it. We talk about visible felt leadership, which is leadership being seen talking about safety and talking about the, the the elements of safety that are important so 
actually leadership when they're on site, when they're on the shop floor, when they're visiting a maybe construction site, is actually talking about the hazards that are being spotted. Yeah, talking to the people who've reported them. Yeah, maybe getting their view of the world. Um, but actually, just keep reinforcing. Actually, as a leader of this business, this thing is important to me. Yeah. Well, and yeah, fully agree. I mean, showing that if if we can show positive success when we report on hazards, maybe it's a correlation of incidents going down. Maybe it's a correlation of getting more controls in place or getting better things in place, whatever it is, you know, like I use mats. I mean, that's a simple thing, but mats where you have a ice machine or um, some better PPE, you know, these glasses fog up, we've been complaining, you know, whatever you start showing that even if it's maybe a slight comfort issue, you show that leadership shows that they're, that they care about what's being reported when we see hazards. That's a, that's a successful move and step forward. You know, I, I tie things back to, and, and you do also to golf. You think about it when I'm on a, on a golf hole, when I'm playing, first thing I do is look where I want to put the ball. Obviously, I mean, it's slightly different, but second, I identify all the hazards. Okay. We have to figure out how can I minimize this? Where can I be the most successful? It's the same thing in the workplace. Honestly, how can I be the most successful and that's by understanding what is the job? How can I maintain my safe and healthy operations? Because that's, you know, we, we you think about what's the most uh, productive. That's when we're safe, healthy. We have a productive uh, job and we maintain a certain level of quality. When we maintain that, then we have the profits that our organization wants. So safe operations is safe business. It's healthy and safe at work, wherever it is. So that's, if we can see that, our first step in the incident life cycle, I think, will be progressing nicely because hopefully that life cycle will start to stop because we're identifying, reporting, and no incident occurs. Yeah. My, my biggest issue on, on the golf course is I have a magnetic attraction to the hazards. <laughs> so, um, so maybe not a good analogy there, but... Um, but you know I, where I they are, I, see? <laughs> I know where they are, um, but, but I think... It, I think one of the really important points you've just touched on there is, is hazards is kind of an integral part of safe operations. And we talk about safe operations a lot. Is, and again, it's, it's kind of tying it into that sort of overall sort of business culture, that business success. Hazards are inherent. If we, if we can get a really good hazard spotting program in place that keeps production up and running, stops people from getting hurt, it has a direct knock-on effect on, on, on the bottom line for any organization. So it's a really great thing to be doing. Um, I, I think the sort of final point on it I was going to pick up on was the danger with all of these things is that we, we either have a big launch as we start this thing. So great, woo we're going to do hazard spotting, okay? So we go out and we have this big launch, this big kickoff, and then it's just something that we do, yeah? Or it's something that we just train people on when we induct them into the business. So I think there's a there's a really important point there, and it, and it, it's part of it is the leadership talking about it, but also I think the safety professionals have a role to play in terms of keep reinforcing that this is a really important thing to us, and this is why it's important to us. This is the value of it, and this is the value to you. Yeah, 
for sure. No, that's great. So in summary, why don't we go back and forth? How do one first? I think we've had some good discussion here around the incident management life cycle. And hopefully what you're seeing as we're trying to take this journey is our first step is actually how do we identify hazards? And to me, one of the most important things is helping people understand what is a hazard. So there is a certain level of training, but even more so, honestly, it's learning and it's kind of opening eyes. Just help people to understand what is what is a hazard. What is a hazard around what I'm usually looking at? So that's one of the first steps I'd say to consider. Absolutely. And again, reflect back on me walking through that factory. I didn't even really think about or know what a hazard was. So I think I think that's a that's an incredibly valuable point, Langley. We can't make the assumption that people know what a hazard is. So first thing to do is tell them what is a hazard. Yeah. Um I, I think also then it's it's what's the what's the value? What's the personal value? So again, we talked about that personal value. What's the the personal value to people in reporting hazards? I think that's something else that we need to really focus in on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and even carrying on that, then you think about that next step, it's the actual reporting of them. And we're we're going to get into reporting, I know, again, but being able to report a hazard, likewise, being able to report an incident, whatever it is, make it easy. You know, the, the Jules principle, I'll let the KISS, keep it stupidly simple, meaning keep it so simple, it's just, it's almost inherent that people know how to report. Don't use a lockbox, please. And if you do still use a lockbox, you haven't moved, don't lock the actual box. So just remember, keep it simple. Yeah. Leave, leave a crowbar by the box yeah. so we can open it. <laughs> Hammer, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then I suppose the final bit is feedback and reinforcement, isn't it? Is that um, making sure the criminal bit is doing something about it and then not telling people what we've done. Yeah. So make sure there's a really good feedback loop in there where we can celebrate the positive results of what people have told us and we can we can celebrate those people for telling us in the first place because that's really important and then and i suppose the, the other bit then is that regular reinforcement of this is important and why it's important and, and and again encouraging leadership to talk about it and to talk about specific hazards specific with things that have been reported when they're out there on the shop floor yeah i mean it's that theme i think throughout everything. Don't be the health and safety cop. Establish camaraderie so that people understand and they want to do what's best for themselves, for others around them to maintain safe operations. That's great. Well, Jules, I look forward to seeing you soon. I enjoyed our discussions on hazards. And everyone, tune in next time. Look forward to talking to you. Yep. Thank you, Langdon. Looking forward to seeing you and uh, looking forward to the next, next pod. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Everyone, really appreciate you tuning into this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast or visit us at evotix.com. And if you want to see how follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube. If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and in the review section of this podcast, if you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great. And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days, about your normal lives, stay safe out there and watch each other's back. <laughs>